Well, this is me, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and this is me on the screen here, riding towards the camera. And I'm Paul Verhoeven, I'm the director. Movie was originally um, was produced by the company that you see, uh, whose name you see arriving here on the screen, which is Karolko, by Andy Vanya and Mario Casar. And I myself did uh, a couple of movies there, uh, this one and uh, later Basic Instinct and to a certain degree Showgirls. I did a film, of course, uh, uh, which was called Red Heat, and. Um after that great experience that I had with Karalko, with Mario Kassan and Ivania, I definitely wanted to do another movie there. So this was the perfect movie. A big budget, big movie, total recall. And then later you did uh, Terminator 2 there. I did Terminator 2, that's right. Um, and uh, of course, uh, we will be doing many more projects together, hopefully. There were about 30 versions of the script before we got it. And um, they were all done, done by uh, Dan O'Bannon and Ron Suchet. Then the version that we are seeing here, that um, was an additional writer I asked to come in, which was um, Gary Goldman. And that most of the work that was done on the script was in the third act. Um, two writers were with us on the, on the set all the time, Ron Suchet and Gary Goldman. Um, I think we were a very uh, writer-friendly group because they were part of everything and they could see as much of the dailies and have as much input as, uh, as, uh, as they wanted. I remember that exactly uh, how long the script was around because I followed it. Uh, and I remember when Dina De Laurentiis was in pre-production for this movie over in Australia um, and he then finally got into financial trouble and I called him and I asked him if he would sell the movie, and he said yes. And then I immediately called Coralco and said uh, to Andy Vania and Mario Casar, call Dino De Laurentiis right now and buy this movie. And bang, within, within a few hours, they owned the movie, and that's when I got in touch with you then. And uh, recall, remember when I then said you to you... you asked me to do the movie. <laughs> Well, I said, I said, remember our, our conversation we had at the restaurant? Right, right. Uh, because right after Robocop came out, uh, I went to you in the restaurant and butted in right there during the conversation you had with someone else. And I said, Paul, you're the greatest. They're so Robocop. You're fantastic. We have to work together and all that stuff. And then, uh, you know, that was the movie we worked on together. Right. This is all, um, all special effects, what you see here. Um, only the people that are discovered later on the f are there in the background, you see um, two people walking. The people, of course, are real. Everything else is uh, blue screen. Now, all this was shot, of course, in the studios in Cherubrusco in Mexico. And a very small studio this part was because there was no money at, at all anymore for these scenes, remember? Yeah, <laughs> so exactly. we had to shoot it on a, on a stage that was not much bigger than a basketball field at the maximum in it. On the credit list that just passed by, you saw a lot of people that worked with me on other movies, notably on Robocop and, and Hollow Man and Starship Troopers, Joost Vacano for uh, the photography, uh, Frank Urosti for the editing. Um, Bill Sandel, who did Robocop, uh, Erika Phillips for costume, did also Robocop, and this movie. And this is a Robotine effect. It's Arnold as a puppet.
it's not a digital effect that it didn't exist at that time. You would now do it digitally, I suppose, but at that time it was just uh, something, a puppet where the eyes, eyes were blown out, kind of. This was one of my favorite scenes, obviously, because how many times uh, do people get a chance to wake up with Sharon Stone? Remember how we rehearsed this scene? We rehearsed it in the Bellagio Hotel. In the Bellagio Hotel, exactly. We went up there. They must have thought that we had some strange Hollywood characters checking in, like, uh, you know, two guys with uh, with one woman in this bedroom. And <laughs> we were rehearsing exactly this scene here, the, the fight scene and uh, playing around in the bed and all those kind of things. Uh, but it was really good because it was uh, several months before and we were very well prepared. Uh, so when we did actually the scene there, we knew exactly what we were doing. Realize here also that she could be, of course, she could be really a nice woman who is really worried about his, his, his nightmares about Mars, isn't it? I mean, there are two realities to the movie all over the place and, and we'll, I'll emphasize that throughout. But um, it's not necessarily so at this point that Sharon Stone is already the Cohagen agent that she might turn out to be later. So she can just be somebody that is, is pissed off because he seems to be dreaming always about the brunette while she hopes that she's dreaming about, about, that she's, um, that he's dreaming about her. Exactly. You know I do. At this point, I think we we asked Sharon Stone basically to take part of her clothes off, but she was very timid here. Remember? She, I mean, yeah, she makes a, a little thing there. <laughs> I think I took revenge in basic instinct, you know. <laughs> no, I think that the whole thing worked really well. No, it's very nice and because uh, it, for this kind of movie, you don't want to go further clearly. Now there is a, a political uh, agenda is introduced here, isn't it? Um, where um, we find out that there are problems on the colony Mars that is under the supervision of Governor Cohagen. Um, clearly, that is um, is of course a referring to let's say um, colonial situations of, of 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 England or Spain or Holland, but it could also be a metaphor for any kind of imperialism. You know, what's so interesting is looking at it now is how uh, futuristic in those days it was to have a big screen. And now we are in the future. Right. You know, now everyone kind of has normal. a big screen, yeah. exactly a flat screen on right. the wall. Well, even this thing that we did here, I mean, she puts it out and we get suddenly to this landscape that was done by a trick where um, before, before this happens in the same shot, uh, the walls are already faked. It's two side walls are a blue screen. So when we get the whole landscape, of course, the landscape is printed in over over three over these three areas. Right. But the, the side areas next to the television in the beginning are already fake, are fake walls. It's dry. It's ugly. It's boring. I mean, really, revolution could break out there. In fact, of course, this was shot with blue screen. But yeah. um, I think. Uh, that is kind of a reality. Um, uh, the, all these things are preparing us for double realities, isn't it? Exactly. But one thing, it's, it seems to be one thing, it turns out to be another thing. Back now, the walls there are also fake. These are basically printed in walls. Right, now, right. And then later, when we cut to, to the shots, uh, to the next shots, when you would see the, the backgrounds, then it are the, the walls that we constructed. But for, that, for these two shots where the transition takes place, the two side walls next to the screen are always fake. Here, it's real. 
It was a great scene because she's trying so hard for me not to see the news, not to see what's going on on Mars. And she realizes that I'm fascinated by this. You can see here with the eye, you know, no matter what I do, the kissing, the hugging with her, I'm more interested in what's going on on Mars. So there's a part of me that knows uh, about the subject. Which could be because he starts vaguely to remember things that he should not remember. That's right. Or it's just an obsession, if, or if the dream is, if, if the rest is all dreamlike, then it would just be an, a general obsession with Mars. Right. And again, she tries to influence him in a way to say, no, don't worry about that, that's not true, there is nothing about Mars, it's all an invention of you, and um, which could be her, her part as a loving wife that tries to protect her husband, right. or she is already basically here trying to prevent his memory to, 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 to break through. Right, exactly. And so she's a Cohagen agent then. I mean, here, when we hold on her face, of course, we pretend a little bit that there is something else going in, There's, going on. Going, exactly. And, uh, you know, it was very important for us to show that my mind is set on something totally different, that I'm not really living in the moment, that I'm thinking of something else. This is all what you just saw is the military academy in Mexico City. Here is a one of the first digital effects ever done. Um, that we tried to do with, with capture motion, but failed completely. But fortunately, Eric Brevica had also put a camera on the other side of the screen. So we had Arnold's movements also in a natural way, and they copied that. Now, of course, here the team basically that will, influ that will influence the whole movie is introduced, isn't it? The implant of dreams. There you see the guy, watch him, that will pop up at halfway the movie. His name is Dr. Edgemar. Of course, the, the memory implants that are sold, but that ultimately could be, be make you completely schizophrenic, are sold in the nice, nice, same nice way as the tobacco industry sells the cigarettes in it. Exactly. Here, this is my job. I'm a construction worker. In the original screenplay, you were an accountant. That's right. And we felt that it didn't fit your uh, your persona in any way. Well, that was because of uh, Jeff Bridges was supposed to actually play right. the character when right. Dina De Laurentiis was yeah, doing and, it. And, in, and, and Richard Dreyfuss before that. Exactly, and then many other actors before that. Again, his pal here could or be just a nice guy that tries to warn him not to go to these idiotic memory implants because they could basically make you um, schizophrenic. Or he is already a Cohagen agent that has to make sure that his memory doesn't pop up. Well, that's the great thing about the movie, that if from the beginning on, it always works on two levels. And the audience always has to guess, you know, what it is, what is reality and what is not. And the music here is this kind of theme that Jerry Goldsmith uh, uh, introduces here, which is the kind of unclarity of re uh, if it's real or not. Right. It? Again, this trick is done reversed, isn't it? The red was already there from the beginning, and but we painted it blue 
basically in the computer kind of. And then it, and then when the rat appears, it looks like we're doing there the trick, but this, the trick is already before. So your attention, that's why it looks so convincing in the second part when you start to realize that there is a trick, because it is no trick. The trick was before, but, but you didn't pay attention. It's like a magician trick, isn't it? You always look at the wrong thing. All these, this is all built in the studio. It's all Cherubusco, isn't it? And we use this kind of st strange style that you with this kind of uh, concrete walls because a lot of the buildings that we found in Mexico City were done in a style they call new brutalism, which is all big concrete, like the underground, which you saw on the scene before, which was uh, the building of the milita military academy outside M Mexico City. But we try to copy that style that we found there by coincidence. And, and have all these, always these wall like bunker like nearly, isn't it? Well, the architecture was ideal in Mexico City because of that daring architecture and the colors and the, the shapes of the buildings and all that. We really could use that very well in a lot of the scenes. Now, here, this is, a, this is one of my favorite scenes, Paul, because this is really what the movie is about when he's now selling to me the idea of recall, right? To implant something. Yeah, he's, he's trying to, he's like a, a car salesman, isn't it? He tries to, to, to talk you into taking whatever, whatever is close to your heart. And no matter what question I have, he has the perfect answer. Right, right. And he knows already all well, the that's questions. Like a car salesman. Exactly, that's right. It's absolutely perfect. And the, the great line is when he says, you know, what is always the same when you travel around, no matter where you go? Right. And I say, I don't know what. And he says, you. Yes. He's always you there. You he always says, think now, we can, you. Exactly, we can solve that now here. Yeah. Yes. I remember when I talked to the casting director, Mike Fenton, I said to him, you know, for this actor, Ray Baker, I said, I, I just find me somebody that could be very well working in a, in a, in a car sales uh, company. A real holiday is a pain in the butt. You got lost luggage, lousy... The interesting thing is, of course, is here that, the, that the impl the, let's say, the memory implant or, the, or the, let's say, the dream trip that he wants and that he basically ultimately is going to... Um, to choose, isn't it, by being a secret agent and all that stuff. If you look at the movie, at the end of this scene, McLean tells him everything that's going to happen in the movie. Right. It's counter to every normal narrative, isn't it? You would not reveal. You would not tell the people where it's going. Here, you get to completely, the whole story is formulated for you in the, in, in the end of the scene. That's, the, that's what you were talking here Exactly, about, yeah. It's always the same old you. Let me suggest that you take a vacation from yourself. And I know it sounds wild. It See, right now he knows that he has, he has gotten to me, that I'm now interested in that. And now he's going to go all out with his selling. Yeah, and then he basically he finds exactly what you're, what you're somehow your unconsciousness, if, if, if you are a different person than you, than you think you are, pushes you to, to take the secret agent thing in it. Now he tells the story. Exactly. That's going to happen in the next ten, five minutes. Exactly. <laughs> now the rest of the story. But you rest assured, by the time the trip is over, you get the girl, kill the bad guys, and save the entire planet. Which is at the end, at the end what he does. That's right. So this is the story, and you think this is just a, a let's say, 
a, a salesman's uh, uh, job. But that's why it works, because yeah. we don't pay much attention yeah, to it yet, no. because we know it's just a salesman's job. But it's job. so fun that the whole movie is this way. Yeah. And here is also a, an interesting thing. Here are given several clues are given inside the scene, of course, for, for the rest of, of, the, of the movie. In fact, the woman that he wants to be implanted in his dream, because he make, can make a choice, and she proposed him several possibilities. And so he can choose a woman that would be part of his dream. Of course, the woman that he describes is the woman he might remember. So he gets her, really. Or you could say he has a kind of a fantasy image that he dreams about, which is this girl, Melina, and he describes it as good as possible. And, and he gets it. Even, even all the images of the tubes that you just saw are, of course, the tubes that you see at the end of the movie when the nuclear reactor starts. Right. So here, this is basically um, uh, where he makes his choice. And uh, of course, if you look very in, in the last, when he gets more and more precise with the choice, when he def defines uh, the, her breast and, and, and the rest of her body, then he goes to her, her basically what kind of type of woman he wants. And ultimately, we end up, of course, with somebody that for a moment, just before he, for, before he falls asleep, for a moment, seems to be Rachel Ticotin. Right. Yeah. And also be aware that there, if, it is a, if everything that happens in the movie from now on is going to be a dream, if there is no reality to anything, there is um, Rachel. Blue Sky and Mars, another cue, isn't it, for later. Realize that the dream really starts at the moment that he falls asleep. So the next scene, which seems to be a fuck up of the machine, is part of the dream. Right. So this is the last moment of his reality. Goes into, into the unconsciousness, and basically from now on, boom, the dream starts. What do you say? This is part of the dream. The elements, basically, that are shown to him are, again, McLean, because he just saw him, so his dream... So the, the people that made the dream built this all in to make it look for, for Quaid as if it's, a, as if it's completely true. The schizoid embolism is part of the dream. It's to seduce him to think that, there is, that the reality has never stopped. That's the trick of, of, of the company, that they make a dream that's so convincing that it seamlessly goes from the first reality into the second one. It's one of my, uh, my favorite scenes because it really starts the movie out the right way. Yeah, I because you think that. this is real. Isn't exactly, it? absolutely. You think that basically he's upset and he wants to break out, and especially yeah. because he says this thing about Hauser and I'm not Quaid, I'm Hauser yeah, or whatever. Exactly, and he almost looks like he has changed his mind uh, right. the last second, or something went wrong with the implant. Yes. And, and from a, from let's say the normal narrative, you would say, okay, the old the old persona that was suppressed basically is coming through for a moment. Right, and right. Hauser is popping up, kind of. But basically, they, they suppress them. But it's not what some people have thought, that the, that the real dream starts here. No, the dream, this is part of the dream, if you want to see the movie as a dream. Exactly. Right? 
I mean, a normal audience would take this more like a reality, of course. Well, that's what actually makes it work, makes it so interesting, because in the end, you ask yourself, was this all a dream or was right, it the reality? Right. So you walk away with a, with a really interesting question. And I think we, as much as possible, we kept these two realities always alive, isn't it? Because of Arnold, uh, 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 you being a superhero, of course, people would always hope and think that it's real, isn't it? Right. But there are strong doubts about that, of course, if you if you look at the, at the movie for the second time. Okay. All right. All right, look, here's what we're going to do. Renata, cover up any memory that he's got of us or recall. I'll do what I can. It's pretty messy in there. Ernie, dump him in a cab around the corner. Tiffany, you help him. I'm going to destroy his file and refund his money. And if anybody comes asking, we never even heard of Douglas Quaid. <laughs> well, great. Yeah, great. Great setup, isn't it? So these, these cars were um, designed by Ron Cobb, and uh, the robots um, here um, was done by Robotine. It's a very uh, well-known uh, element of Philip Dick's stories that he uses taxis that uh, have no real uh, persons aboard that do the driving. He always, in a lot of his stories, he has a robotic drivers. And this one, we try to make this one a bit funny um, because perhaps giving you a clue that it is still um, a dream. This whole building, again, is the military academy in, in Mexico City, so that is not nothing, um, all this is all real. There's no studios here, then basically the signs that we put on the walls and all that stuff. And now the story, of course, goes in overdrive, isn't it? That's basically where the where what uh, McLean predicted. People are going to kill you left and right. He walks into his old pal, and the old pal is saying, "I'm going to kill, to kill you." Come on, I'll buy you a drink. Listen, I'm already late. Thank you very much. But hey, come right hey, down. Hey, come on, hey, bring him down here. Come on, move it. Let's go get that drink. What is going on? What the fuck did I do wrong? Tell me. You blamed Quaid. You blamed about Mars. Are you crazy? I don't even know anything about Mars. You should have listened to me, Quaid. I was there to keep you out of trouble. All right, there's a great fight scene coming up now, which is. Where he suddenly you re he realizes himself, to his amazement, how good he is with his body yeah, yeah. in it. Because he can do whatever he wants. He hits them and he kicks them and kills them all one after the other. Remember how long we rehearsed that right, fight scene, right. huh? Yes. For hours we were working on that thing. He suddenly also knows how to how to handle a gun in, exactly. the, in, in the perfect way. And I'm totally amazed. And he's looking I, I, at watch, watch, saying, I'm looking at the me? gun. Yeah, so this is really this. The, the, exactly. How this. did I do that? Right. I got these four guys in in in, in 20 seconds and killed them all. Isn't it? Yeah. So there's some reason for him to be disoriented about himself here. Well, because he realizes finally maybe there is something else in right. me. He had one of the first, uh, let's say, film holograms, I would say. Yeah. Again, it's still trying to give you the uh, work with the idea what's reality and what not, isn't it? Right. Hi, honey. What are you doing? Some men just tried to kill me. Muggers? Are you all right? No, they were spies or something. And Harry from work, he was the. 
careful work, he was the boss. So she again is trying to tell him there's nothing happening and that you have basically something went wrong, isn't it? He said because he, he tells her that he went through this uh, recall operation and now she realizes that he fucked up his brain. At least that's what she pretends. Isn't it? Of course, what she's really doing is trying to talk him out of the Mars memories. Absolutely, and she's doing such a wonderful job in pretending right. that she's very concerned about me and that there's just something going on in my head right now and uh, I should just relax and uh, leave it up to her. Listen to me, sweetheart. Those assholes at Recall have fucked up your mind. You're having paranoid delusions. You call this a delusion? Now she realizes, as when in the reality of the story, of the one of the realities of the story, that there is a problem with Mr. Quaid. Huh? Right. So she's going to call her agent boss, isn't it? Mikey Ironside, he played that character right. really well. And he tells her, of course, hey, we tried to kill him already, we, di we didn't succeed, but now you have to do it. Is it still out. thinking that Laurie is also a victim? Isn't yeah, it? yeah. Laurie and him destroyed, and it's like a symbol of basically the relationship that doesn't exist, isn't it? So we find out. Here's the great fight scene with uh, Sharon and me. So it turns out to be uh, that his wife is now against him too. She's uh, suddenly in the story. She's a secret agent, isn't it? Ow, that hurt. She was an unbelievable fighting machine, she remember? She was great, yeah. I mean, and I think she really enjoyed it, yes. trying to and oh, kick yeah. me and hit <laughs> me and, and stab me yeah. and going after me. Because every time she kicked me, she says, can I do this again? Yes. Yeah. I didn't do it right. She's also great with the way she throws the, mess, the oh, knife yeah. in one hand and then in the other hand and yeah. all that stuff. Talk. I said talk. I'm not your wife. The hell you're not. I swear to God, I never saw you before six weeks ago. Her marriage is just a memory implant. You think I'm stupid? Ah. Remember our wedding? Was implanted by the agency. Falling in love. Implanted. Our friends, my job, eight years together. Suppose all of this was implanted too. The job's real. The agency set it up. Bullshit. <sighs> they erased your identity and implanted a new one. I was written in as your wife so that I could watch you and make sure the erasure took. Sorry, Quaid. Your whole life is just a dream. Okay, then. If I'm not me, who the hell am I? Because it was very well um, organized, the whole fight, isn't it? By Vic Armstrong, in oh, fact, yeah. mostly. He was a great uh, second unit uh, director and stunt coordinator, so there was no danger at all. So he uh, now finally she puts the, the things I put on the table, isn't it? He yeah. is not the person he thinks he is, or he was, and uh, his whole life is a fabrication. And there is really no way um, 
he doesn't know what he is, in fact, anymore. And it, he, in fact, is. I think Philip Dick is trying to tell you the situation of 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 life that you don't know. That's the question of of all human beings. It, where do I come from? Where am I going? Yes. And he is here, thrown in a situation where everything that was before is fake, and he just have no idea who he is, and he doesn't know, has no clue where to go. So he's the total. Adventure is thrown in a new world that he doesn't doesn't know kind of. There is knowing you. Yeah, wherever he turns, basically from now on, he gets betrayed by people, by, the, by his closest friend, by his wife, by everyone. Yeah, his whole life is apparently a, a construction. Isn't it? He, he cannot trust now anyone anymore. He's on his own. It's like going going aboard from uh, uh, leaving a ship on a new continent where you don't know anything, isn't it? Right. Like going to an alien planet and you have no idea what it is about. But in fact, here is worse because he has no idea about himself anymore either, isn't it? Here, Michael Ironside shows that side of him that he actually is in with her, and right. this is maybe his sweetheart. Yeah, this is, anyone I think that touches lovers. her, exactly. Anyone yeah. that touches her, he kicks aside. He played that character really tough, didn't yeah. he? Yeah, no, he's unbelievable. He's a great guy, yeah. you know. I had to, because I used him again in uh, Starship Troopers. Right. I nearly had used him in in Robocop, but then we disagreed so much about the script that we didn't do it. But he was the f first choice for Robocop uh, before Peter Weller. Uh huh. But then I thought basically that I should bring him in in this one again, and then we tried, and it worked very well. Look, they're lovers, of course, you know. Yeah. <laughs> of course, this could be all part of his dream. Still, don't forget that, isn't it? It's also you part of your. You might still be happily married. <laughs> it's part of your sickness too. <laughs> I think it's I added that. <laughs> I'm absolutely convinced it yeah. was not in the script. Just a, a, Euro a European touch, you know, or <laughs> perhaps a Dutch touch. <laughs> this is again, you know, we we use that that location all the time because there was basically it had so many angles. Uh, we go back to the to the military academy to the same scene. Then uh, another of these um, digital effects. I like that basically scene, to play yeah. a whole scene basically in a, like I did in Hollow Man is is to play a whole scene in a different uh, let's say medium nearly, isn't it? Right. It was very well set up early on when we saw the skeleton kind of the X-ray right. machine. Yeah. But you see, this is exactly what made, I think, the movie so great was because it's a continuous chase from the beginning Until to the, the end. end. And right. you never know who to trust, who is his ally. And later on, when we get to Mars, you will see. I mean, it is like, uh, you know, everything is a question and you can never trust anyone. This is a real location, really. This is, um, this is in the underground uh, of uh, Mexico City. This is a scene we had uh, basically on the escalator here so where we had real problems with the MPA because the original version of that was pretty, well, it's brutal still, but it was more brutal before. Yeah, I like that. It's horrible yeah. because he used him as a human shield. Exactly. <laughs> what else are you going to do under the circumstances? <laughs> I continuously used him as a human shield. Now I threw him down the escalator.
little detail I added. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no regard for human life or death. Well, that's the, it's, it's the villains, isn't it? Remember this scene, basically, you cut your hand there terribly. Yeah, yeah, this is, this is the, right there, on exactly. On that shot, yeah. basically, yeah. basically you, had to, you had to stitch it on the stats. Right, set, right, right. The doctor had to come in. Yeah, well, because they, you remember that the, the, when you, before I hit the glass, it's supposed to explode. Right. And uh, with an explosion, and uh, it didn't explode, and so I hit the real glass and right. cut myself. Yeah, of and course. then it exploded as you did uh, yeah. a, a fraction of a second too late. Didn't exactly, it? and uh, I remember very well that... Uh, it was just fa uh, half an hour before lunch break, and then I went to the trailer, got stitched up quickly, right. and then after lunch we continued shooting the same scene right. again. Right. I want that fucker dead. I don't blame you, man. I wouldn't want a guy like Quaid porking my old lady. You saying she likes it? No, I'm sure she hated every minute of it. Six nine, six He's teasing <laughs> him a little bit, exactly. trying to tell... Um, to tell him that it was a great, uh, that Arnold had a great time with <laughs> his lorry. Now the guy we have seen before in the first scene on the television, isn't it? Turns out to be the supervillain. This is um, Ronnie Cox again, who I used as the as the corporate villain in uh, in Robocop. Sunspots. What was that, sir? I couldn't hear you. They just want to kill him, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, they don't want him in place. They they they're subversive to to their uh, because uh, apparently Michael Ironside doesn't want uh, Laurie at all anymore with Quaid, isn't it? <laughs> it's been too long already. He she enjoyed it too much. Yeah, right. So basically, they have their own agenda to kill him. While Kohagen still has this original plan, which we'll reveal much later, which has to do with the original. Uh, let's say persona of Quaid um, at the time that he was um, living on Mars, which must have been, let's say, a year ago or something like that. How are we doing? Fine. <laughs> so this was the interesting thing, is because they could always track me, and uh, we find out then later on of how I can get rid of that problem. Yeah, somehow they can track him, but you don't know why they you, can. You, you don't know why, no, exactly. But because we, it's we his find own clothes. Out. Where, is the, where is this exactly. machine? Where is the little thing that they basically, uh, that they must have hidden in his clothes or right, shoes right. or whatever? Now, this is a typical Philip Dick situation. Now, the person has no clues anymore. He doesn't know where to go. He doesn't know where he's coming from even. And some, suddenly somebody makes a phone call and says, hey, I'm here to help you. And what we, uh, of course, but he doesn't realize that in his former life, he left clues that would uh, be helpful to him now. So the former persona of, of Quaid later turns out to be Hauser, but the former persona of Quaid apparently um, hit or um, made uh, plans for what would happen after the implant. Right, and now he, he just got the message that he should actually put a wet towel around his Which head. Which is also like crazy. Exactly, yeah. So that they Peter cannot... still don't know. So they cannot detect of where I am. I run around like an Indian. Can you see me down here? Mm -hmm. that is the, that's the, let's say, a big... Um, some some big briefcase, or whatever you would call it, box, that seems to uh, be very important. But it is, of course, all the 
all the clues that A, he needs to survive or to continue his, his adventure. For us, it's a clue really to keep the narrative going, isn't it? That's a funny scene. She's trying to steal the suitcase. Yeah, a poor homeless woman yeah. thinks that she has a good day, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. We discussed a lot of it was nice enough for the character to do, isn't it? <laughs> to do a that little, against an old lady. A little Paul Verhoeven style there. <laughs> you see, now they have problems following it because of the wet towel around. Yeah, so that makes it uh, so somehow it, it, it unclear. Works, it works a little bit until it dries out, of course, the, the towel. Then I'm in trouble again. Oh, this scene is unbelievable because my frustration about this taxi cab does not understand where I want to go. This was shot in, um, in the center of Mexico City in a little uh, mall. I mean, it's a round circle that's a little bit below the normal level of the road. So you can rotate around as much as you want there. <laughs> because it's a circular thing. Again I got away. So now they're totally steaming. And, and here he goes, this is an old uh, cement factory also in uh, Mexico City, so it's a real location. Is 18 credits, please. Sue me, dickhead. We needed that explosion so that later they can say, oh, there was an explosion in the old cement factory. And they showed the heat. Right, oh, exactly. so they found something and that's why they come to the to this location, yeah. otherwise they would never be there, of we course. We have no idea what was in that cab that was so explosive. Right. But, I mean, <laughs> no. but it exploded anyway. Right. Yeah. So now he gets, for the first time he has time to, to reflect, I would say. This is a yeah. moment of isolation where um, after removing the rats he can put the... the Take, start to take the things out that he had planned for himself, realizing that at a certain moment, in in the after after whatever happened to him, after whatever they did to his brain, that he might need that basically to fulfill his mission. His mission was supposed to be positive. He thinks that, that we find out that looks like it is a positive mission against to help the guerrillas. Ultimately, it turns out to be a negative mission to infiltrate the guerrillas. But he doesn't know that. Now he realizes that there's a hologram of him. That little machine that he has, that we will use in the latter part of the movie, isn't it? When in the, in the final act, in the last 10, 15 minutes, he uses the hologram. So it was just a device. Um, I don't know if it's a device of, 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 of Philip Dick. It might be a device of the original writers or of Gary Goldman. I forgot that. To add that to the, to the content of the box. And right. here, basically... He, something interesting comes out that is a message to himself. Howdy, stranger. This is Hauser. If things have gone wrong, I'm talking to myself and you've got a wet towel wrapped around the head. Now, whatever your name is... So this seems to be his friend, isn't it? 
Right. I mean, in fact, it's himself yeah. um, in, in, uh, setting up, explaining the big plan. What we don't realize, and will realize much, much later, is that this is Hauser. Right. That this is the bad guy. It's not Quaid, it's Hauser. That's I right. mean, Hauser and Quaid are the same, but it's, it's, the, same. it's the incarnation Hauser. Right. And Hauser is working for Cohagen. And now he's telling him that, that he has to take that bug out of his nose, which is this gross scene. Remember, everyone was right. gross, grossed out. Me putting this thing up my, in my, uh, my nose. A woman. And I learned a few things. Like, I've been playing for the wrong team. But all I can do now is try to make up for it. So he tells him here that he worked in some way because he knows that will be discovered that he was working for Cohagen, but that he changed his mind, isn't it? That, of course, is a lie. Right. But, of course, as this is all the information that you here, um, to say the now Quaid has, he believes it, of course. So that's basically how they detected where I am, because they saw the fire, it shows up. Yeah. It's a heat-seeking device. Let's get rid of the bug in your head. Take this thing out of the case and stick it up your nose. Don't worry, it's self-guiding. Oh, that's so unbelievable. <laughs> Just shot real hard. There's one, uh, there's a, uh, one or two. This is all real, of course. When you hear the crunch, you're there. Still real. Be careful. It's my head too. And this, of course, you cannot. It's so well done, isn't it? This. Yeah. But there was a puppet, isn't it? Yeah, there was uh, the bug that was inside my nose. And that's why they always could find me. So now Again, the, the, these, these shots that you, where you see the last shot where he pulls it out in the nose and all that stuff was, 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 a, was a puppet. Was yeah. a puppet, although but nowadays we'd probably do that digitally, isn't it? Right. But I mean, it was totally believable. Yes, absolutely. I mean, you did not yeah. see that it was yeah. a puppet. But there were 10 puppeteers, I think, and we did it after shooting the movie because it was so complicated. Yeah. To get these two shots took us two days, I think. <laughs> To get all the grimaces of the of the skin mm -hmm. and all that stuff and and the eyes working together was really difficult. And then here we had the little device there because um, uh, ultimately there was a scene where he would go to Mars and sit in a pla in a, in a rocket uh, spaceships and and that would bring him to Mars. And um, but we ultimately there was not enough money to do that scene. In fact, and. I'm not even sure that it was so important. So we found this little trick that the scene ends up with um, uh, uh, get your ass to Mars. And that made, that, uh, by repeating that, we made a very fast transition from going from Earth to Mars. Right. Yeah, because we had to cut out the spaceship because of budget reasons, right? Right, yeah. yeah. Now here they are following, the, obviously, the, I put the, the little device that was in my nose, I put uh, on the, in the chocolate gave it to the rat, and the rat is now running around with that device. But they don't know. They think that I'm right there, they're, they're on my track. Give me that. Get your ass to Mars. Get your ass to Mars. Get your ass to Mars. Shit. Get your ass to Mars. Get your ass to Mars. Get your ass to Mars. I think it works very well, although yeah. it's pretty cruel. <laughs> 
So we so we can nearly cut out all the stuff in between, isn't it? Right. And we immediately go to uh, to to Mars here. This was uh, one of the miniature shots that was, um, and this one too, of course, that was done in um, by DreamQuest under the supervision of Eric Brevik, uh, who later went to ILM and, uh, for example, just finished, uh, was the supervisor on a lot of movies like Men in Black and recently on uh, Pearl Harbor. So he did all the miniatures and all the kind of what you would call the special effect work, with the exception of the things that were done by Robotine, like the scene with the, the, the puppets, basically, the, like, like taking the thing out of your nose and all that. Um, this is a wonderful scene uh, where I uh, come up to Mars as an old lady, as a fat old lady. It's called in the script, The, the Fat Lady. And we gave her this kind of yellow, strange yellow colored Exactly. Thing. And I'm actually hiding underneath this thing, which is the amazing thing which we find out later on. It was This is, of course, an, um, something we built. Um, it, it served several purposes. First, to show how he escaped, basically, from Earth without being recognized or being holed up at the, at the, in the space station by hiding inside this kind of um, uh, construction, this, 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 so, this woman. Um, Secondly, secondary to bring Michael Ironside back into the picture because he apparently was on the same spaceship. And thirdly, uh, very importantly, it was about showing that there was um, no air on Mars, that outside um, all the buildings there is a vacuum. And now and things... Go ahead. Uh, I just want to say that now things are going wrong with the face. That the uh, that, uh, uncontrollable distortion of the face and everything, and that's what busts me actually right now. Because the face does not stop and it says the wrong things all the time. Which is partially still the, the, the woman doing it, isn't it? I mean, the actress doing this. Right, right. This is still the actress, but then we are cutting now to a. To a from here on, I think it is now a, a puppet. Now, this is still her. Now I'm turning something here. Yeah, now this is a puppet. Catch! Get ready for a surprise! <laughs> I think this is a fantastic right. scene, you know? Yeah. Of what a surprise, nice. you know, to come up there as an old lady, then all of a sudden the thing malfunctions and they catch me. And then, uh, of course, the, this is not just a face or a head, it's also, uh, you know, an explosive device. Right. It's all part of that big roller coaster ride. So this is just uh, also uh, to prove that outside, is, is, as I said, there is vacuum in it, which is so important for later for basically solving the end of the movie, where it's all about basically uh, providing air to the planet. 
you remember how long it took us oh, to shoot this yeah, thing with the green you, screen uh, and to blue get everybody, screen? To get you in, a ver in, let's say, in a completely horizontal position. Was, right. Uh, because you're hanging on wires here partially. And, and I think part of the shots are done with, a, with, a, with a, I think I remember well, certainly we did it later with a kind of a, um, where we brought the set, set under 90 degrees. Right. It? So used gravity to get you in a horizontal then position. Connected. Here we introduce um, um, through the windows. We'll shortly introduce this kind of strange mountain that you see there, in, in the distance, and, and that has a kind of a pyramid form. Originally, that was supposed to be the face on Mars, and that some people said was discovered. I always felt that that was probably not. Uh, that it was kind of a fantasy thing, and I felt that it was better to do it uh, with something that was a bit more neutral. This is a special effect shot where the little thing in the window uh, is printed into this miniature shot. So the shot of Arnold and the guy is real, but we printed that, uh, let's say, in the in the window of the train. And this shot, this shot, I, I, we, we still have to thank you, Arnold, because originally this last shot with the train was completely taken out of the production because they felt it was too expensive. And then basically you, you talked to them and they gave it back to us. Isn't it? Exactly. But I, I have to tell you one thing, that looking at this, uh, you know, every time I look at this film, I have to say that the visual effects was so spectacular. It right. was like the state of the art at that time. Right, right. You know, it was really like uh, we had the best people working on it, the most talented crew working on it to create all the visual effects and special effects. And the especially in scenes like this, they was a horrible task they had. Because the problem was, of course, the backgrounds, of course, it's, it's real, you see things moving there in the background. So it's all miniatures and partially it's, uh, it's matte paintings and whatever, but um, it had all to be red. Right. But uh, when we shot it, it would be blue screen. So, you, so the, the, let's say the reflections on the people had to be red. But the blue screen had to be blue, of course. Yeah. So the DP had a horrible job that to make to get red reflections on the faces while the light well, that blue. was coming from the outside was yeah, all blue. Exactly. Yeah, I remember exactly yeah. several times when I worked with various different objects, uh, we had to reshoot it again because there was an, 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 a chrome right. uh, part of that uh, drilling device into the nose was, for instance, a blue reflection, right, right. which we detected in the daily. Right. So we had to do it again right. and get a different reflection on it. Yes. It was very hard with this, this so-called red light that we wanted because everybody thinks about Mars as being something that has a red light, isn't it? And the planet seems to be a reddish. Um, so we didn't want to give that up, but it was a horror job basically for the special effect people. Because we used throughout when we could, we wanted windows so we would see the outside and all the buildings are kind of built in the canyons, in the canyons of Mars. Mm. Which was an idea that we got from NASA, in fact. NASA said one of the ways to build there would be to do it in the canyons, because then in the canyons you would be better protected against um, radiation from space, because the light would not reach you directly, it would be broken. And then ultimately, of course, the radiation from space is a very important issue of the movie, because it is, which you would call it nowadays, an environmental issue. Um, the fact that these domes were built in a certain way um, that they did not give enough protection against the, 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 the radiation is the reason that you have mutants on Mars. 
I mean, like the like basically our discussions nowadays, um, especially since since um, Bush came to power, um, is is about these environmental issues, about how much danger is there, for example, if we have no ozone layer, layer anymore, or if, if there are holes in the ozone layer, and that has a little bit to do with this idea where it is about. The construction of the domes is faulty, and Cohagen used not enough money to make good domes, with the, with the result that the protection of the people was flawed. And as a result of that, people became mutants. That's the, the thematic material of the movie, I think. I mean, from, a, from the narrative point of view, clearly. And mutants we have. I mean, later on we will see some extraordinary mutants. Uh, all specially created by you, Paul. Yeah. Especially the ones with the three breasts. Yeah, yeah, that was my favorite. <laughs> I think I invented that. Yeah. There's also such a great scene where he, where basically he thinks that he discovers is going to find something really important, and he finds this little little flyer describing a sex club in it. It's always. It's always the way it was done, and I think a lot of these things were added by, by Gary Goldman, that we would go one direction and think, okay, this is going to be an important clue, and ultimately you find out that it is something like, what, is this a clue? Do I have to go to a sex club? Hey, man, you need a cab? We used a lot of, tried to keep a lot of rocks inside the shots in, uh, between the walls and all that stuff. <clears throat> so that you could get the feeling that it was all underneath, uh, built in the canyons, kind of. This is really just to introduce um, a little bit the guerrilla warfare, that you would call it, that's happening on Mars, uh, where the government, the Cohagen government, is suppressing, uh, repressing, you could say, the, the, the voices of freedom that are, um, that are coming from the guerrilla. Before they arrest us! Well, what do the rebels want? So this is a kind of uh, our version of the Martian red light district of Amsterdam. I think where we're going to. And the red uh, light district it is. Here's the mall, the famous mall, remember that? Yeah, right, yeah, we, yeah, that was to introduce it here so we can uh, use it later for the scene where, you, where it exactly. attacks you in it. I love that mall, how it digs in uh, yeah, a few hundred yards below the ground, it goes right through and makes the new, uh, you know, uh, areas where you can just, I mean, you, you can go from one spot to the next just running through the walls. And here's one of the mutants in it, uh, basically, that's uh, start to introduce the theme of why are there mutants there, what is their function, and ultimately what, um, how did it come, how, how, how did mutants appear in the first place? Why are there so many Such sick-looking people, huh? She was a cutie. This was basically the team of the mutants was supposed to be in uh, Total Recall 2, remember that, Arnold? Right, right. But the other Philip Dick story that was originally called Minority Report that is done by Spielberg now, as you might have noticed. Uh, very much so. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>
But there was our Total Recall 2 story, because the mutants, bec uh, uh, there was an introduction here already that they are kind of clairvoyant, perhaps, in it, that they can see certain things. And that was used in the second one, was used where you become, become the head of this company that can look in the future and just protect the citizens by eliminating criminals before they do uh, before a crime. Before they do the crime, exactly. Yeah. This is kind of a cross between a kind of a bordello, kind of a, a bar, whatever, isn't it? What do you want? I'm looking for Melina. Well, she's busy. I mean, so basically busy and free, meaning uh, meaning prostitution, clearly. She has three breasts, huh? That's the one with the three breasts. Right. Oh. Yeah, her real breasts are, it's not that we added one breast, we robotine made something that fitted over over her two breasts, right. but were three breasts. So the whole thing is a kind of a prosthetic, clearly. Right, right. Mel! Hey, Mel! <laughs> so this must be something out of, out of the past, isn't it? He doesn't remember, but she remembers him as being as we understand, Hauser one way or the other. Um, this is Marshall Bell there, who but is the he head of the guerrillas, but we don't know that. These are all, are all people that are, let's say, part of the revolutionary uh, movement that is against dictator, I would call him, dictator Cohagen, isn't it? Right, right. So you don't think that I have no idea who she is? Or there that might even be a vague memory that yeah, you would say. I, that's the way I played it, I remember. Yeah. I, I, I played it that, 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 that do, it somehow... A little deja vu there, Exactly, yeah. yeah. But not without having any idea, really, because... That's right. I mean... You've got a lot of nerve showing your face around here, Hauser. Look who's talking. I mean, they all, um, of course, all the people of the guerrilla movement are very wary of where Hauser stands, isn't it? Yeah. They see this guy coming back that they know as an agent of, of Cohagen, but um, perhaps why is he here? Did he change his mind? Is, is, is he on the other side? Is he now willing to be on our side? And, um, and she has to, being one of the top agents, uh, uh, let's say being in the disguise of a prostitute, but clearly this kind of whole pseudo bordello is nothing else than the, than the hangout of the of the revolutionary moment, movement. I thought the Cohagen tortured you to death. I guess he didn't. And you couldn't get me a message. So I'm totally shocked right. now at this point here because I do remember uh, I'm aware of something. But I don't know who she is or anything like that. And all of a sudden, I walk into her room and she smacks me across the face. Then she starts and, to kiss uh, you all yeah, over the place. And then she complains, why haven't you come back? And where have you been? And look at me. What about me? And all this. And then she kisses me. I don't remember you. What are you talking about? I don't remember you. I don't remember us. I don't even remember me. <laughs> what did you get, Amnesia? How did you get here? Hauser left me a note. Hauser, your house. So something dawns on him, at least to the degree that he seems to be, have been Hauser before. Right, it? right. That's kind of clear to him now. And she knows him as Hauser. But ultimately, they have suppressed the, the memories about her are completely suppressed, isn't it? Right, right. Somebody else. Me. This is too weird. And he dumped me on earth with a wife and a lousy child. Did you, say, supposed to did you say wife? Are you fucking married? Now you get the kind of <laughs> no, jealousy exactly. scene. Exactly. Right. So it goes into, let's you know, say, soap everything. opera melodrama here yeah, for yeah. a moment. Why would I lie to you? Because you're still working for Cohagen. 
Don't be ridiculous. But basically, we cannot go too far, so she has to break off the scene, narrative-wise, because otherwise too much information would become clear, so it has to stop nearly, and she stops him by by moving him out of the room with a gun, isn't it? Right. Because he wants more information, isn't it? Well, she works for the underground, for the right. rebels. Yes. You got to help me remember. I said get out. Elena, please. People are trying to kill me. Really? So basically, in fact, what we're doing here, narrative-wise, is to stop the, the, the source of information, kind of, isn't it? So yeah. that we are left in, in, in dubio exactly what's happening. Right. So we introduce Benny here, the, the, the cab driver, as somebody that is a very nice guy and has um, is looking for work because he has just a big family and he seems to be an okay guy. One of right. these other persons that is um, not exactly what he seems to be, isn't it? And then we have here an eye contact between uh, between Melina and, um, and Marshall Bell, who is, uh, as I said, the head of the the guerrilla movement. Right. A reintroduction for, for, for Quaid of, of Cohagen. And now we uh, come to a very important, from a, let's say, we say philosophical point of view, a very important scene, which is um, the appearance of, um, a, a total, of, of a recall um, operator, say, somebody that works for the company that did the original implant. Right, that we have seen actually on the screen before. In, in, the, in the underground, exactly. right. I was looking, when I was casting this, I was looking for somebody that would look a little, let's say, naive and strange and a bit weird in the way he, 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 his, his clothes are, his face are. In fact, I was looking for a, a strong man, but you only start to uh, realize that later in the scene, um, in, in, um, as you had this professor in torn curtain, in, um, in in the Hitchcock movie, right. where basically he, the, the medical and when Paul Newman goes to the eastern uh, part of, um, of 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 Europe to get secrets, and I try to there's a very great part there in that movie, which is the professor that has the secrets, the mathematical secrets that Paul Newman, who is also a professor, tries to get, and I wanted. Um, uh, Edgemar to be a little bit like like that. I mean, uh, uh, there is a lot of Hitchcockian stuff there. There was the low angles that you had there um, when the story uh, to 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 give a feeling, sh showing a lot of of ceilings and all that stuff. So right. to give a like a feeling of disturbance and 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 and, and things that are unclear. What what the reality of 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 it is? Because he is telling him that everything from the moment that he entered basically into the recall machine is an implant, and everything we have seen before in the last forty five minutes is all fantasy. It's a dream, which is very disturbing to the audience because they don't want that. Of course, they want an adventure story, and they don't want a fake adventure story. Yeah. So I think they are on on Arnold's side, on your side, trying to. To, to believe that it was all true, while he is trying to convince Quaid that it's not true. I like that turn now when I'm trying to figure out if he's lying or not. When I tell him, well, then you're not really here. Right. And you're not real. And yeah, then she comes with, with convincing proof, basically his wife being sweet and not at all the secret agent that That's she was right. before, isn't it? 
I mean, we must assume that these things are happening, if we believe what, 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 what Edsmar is saying, that these things are happening in the recall office still, isn't it? So there, uh, he brings in now um, as an additional tool to convince um, Arnold uh, Quaid that he is still living in a dream. He brings in um, his wife, that is seems to be a sweetheart here, very charming, and is also supposed to help him to get out of this psychosis that has caught him in the recall offices. So we must imagine that both of them. Um, uh, Laurie and Dr. Edgemar have been brought into the office of, of recall, which we saw in the very beginning on Earth, to convince him to listen to the, to the, to the help that, that the company sends out, which is Edgemar, with the pill that we see later, to bring him back to reality. On the meantime, and here another kind of Hitchcockian situation, like these high angles and low angles using all the time, but Edgemar is trying to tell him that he should listen and take the pill and become go back to reality. On the other hand, of course, it could well be that this is all a trick of Cohagen to give him a pill that poisons him or in whatever way brings him, basically makes him captive of the, of the Cohagen government. It's a symbol of your desire to return to reality. Inside your dream, you'll fall asleep. The great thing is she plays it totally vulnerable and helpful. Right. Yeah, she's to so sweet. Convince me right. to, do, to, to, to go his way, take this pill, and everything will be fine and we'll be happy, happily married after. And it's interesting that Edgemar here, when you listen to him, seems not to be A, afraid of the gun, because, he's, because for him it's not a real gun, of course, it's right. a dream gun. But he tells you the whole story again as it's going to develop now. Right. The walls of reality will break apart because the walls of the room will basically be blown out in the next 10 seconds. Right, exactly. And all these things he's saying, alien civilization, will happen, of course. Also, the fact that, that he is Cohagen's, that he is a friend of the guerrillas, and I mean that he's helping the guerrillas, but the next moment he will be a buddy of Cohagen. It all will happen in the next 15, 20 minutes. So, again, like in the beginning of the story, we tell you the whole narrative. Of the of the of the of the third act, in fact. And here is the great moment of the sweat running down, which gives it away. Watch this, with the sweat running down, and that gives it away that he is afraid, and it is that is acting is, what he's doing. He is acting, yeah, and it is not real. Here it is. Or you could argue that in his dream, because he wants to stay within his dream, he cannot get out of his dream anymore. The one they sent in to help him, basically, that you invented yourself this this transpiration on the on, on the head, isn't it? Right. So that to convince yourself that it would be that you had to kill him. So here's the big fight scene where I broke my finger. Remember? Yeah, and, and you had, had to, to do to the, the rest of the movie exactly. with, with a cast around your uh, around uh, your thumb all exactly. the time. <laughs> I mean, I think we, we kept it out of frame most of the time. Yeah, it? yeah. This is great, isn't it, here? This kind of diabolical sweetness of her. Yeah. I mean, this turnaround from, from sweetie to the ultimate devil, isn't it? Oh, she can snap. I mean, she can be as sweet and vulnerable and, 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 and engaging. 
I mean, that's basically, especially in the next scene where she, uh, when, when uh, Melina appears and you see the change of, of mind of her when she becomes from the diabolical person goes back into full charm. Exactly. That was really the moment that, I f that later, when I was doing Basic Instinct, I thought, perhaps she can do that. Oh, yeah, well, Perhaps yeah, she yeah. can really play this woman, let's say, um, Catherine Tremel, by using these, because Catherine Tremel is also going up and down between charm and, di and diabolical, isn't it? Yeah, no, I mean, I, th I think that she is perfect for the role and was perfect for the role. So now we, we asked Vic Armstrong to do here a real, let's say, not a catfight, but a real, say, um, uh, martial art uh, kind of uh, situation. Yeah, exactly. So that it would not be these two, that the two women would be two warriors. That's a, I, one of the first times I think that we, that two women are fighting each other here in a kind of a, let's say, a normal way, isn't it? With, with, uh, according to, to... The way women would fight, yeah. Instead of, of pulling hairs or all that stuff. Exactly, yeah. Fuck you! She really enjoys that kind of stuff, Oh, Sharon. she loves it, yeah. <laughs> But look here. This is what I mean. Doug. Honey. You wouldn't hurt me. There she is, isn't it? Go yeah, again. Makes the transition in Snaps four seconds. In two about. seconds, exactly. That's here she's already with the gun. Here's the gun coming out. We're married. But that was, I mean, that was always the moment that, that later made me think. Gee, if she can do that, which she can do here in four seconds, if she can do it in two hours. Oh, yeah. But the, I love that line when I say here, consider it a divorce. divorce yeah. Yeah, great, great line. That was a line that uh, I think Gary Goldman added that to the script. Yeah. This is one of the famous uh, one-liners of mine. Yeah, it's near on the level of I'll be back. Oh, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Consider that a divorce. Uh, what a terrific line. Now we introduce something or reintroduce something, the name Quato that you have heard in the very first part of the movie at the news, um, uh, where the Quato is, 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 is mentioned as the head of the guerrilla movement, um, but we don't know where he is and what he is. What I like also about the film is, and the way you directed it, is, is that every time when they come out, the villains. I just a tenth of a second before disappeared into the elevator or somewhere. Right. That we almost run into each other. Right, right, so it yeah. always keeps the tension. Would it get me or not? He knows that basically he he bluffs he feels yeah, exactly, great that they, he cannot shoot because it's it too blows out the glass it? and it it blows him out of the out of that uh, structure too. But uh, Ironside, who just lo uh, lost the love of his life, say is is not wor is shooting anyhow. But um, his, his his second in command sidekick really prevents further damage there, isn't it? Right. Later, of course, the blo the the the, uh, the blowing of the of, uh, let's say the windows being blown to pieces are as part of the of the third act. It's all preparation for that. And here Benny pops up again, who seems to be still seems to be on the good side. But coincidentally, but he always there. happens to yeah, be there, right. no matter how much I escape. Right. 
he happens to be there. But he might have been arranged by, uh, by, by Kohagen to be there and to pick him up. In this so-called chase that we have here, I think we had a, a little corridor that was not longer than 30 yards in it. So all these shots are done in the same area all the time. Over and over, that's we all went we back had, and forth. That's all we had, this little piece exactly. that you saw there, that's yeah, what we had. we had. And remember, they built that outside of the studio on the yes, side. from one studio to the other. Exactly. They, yeah, they connected two studios because they... Uh, they, again, for reasons of economy, they didn't want to give us more of a more 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 tunnel. No, I know. And we spent endless amount of time in there inhaling that that dust. Ah, this Remember horrible, the finest yeah. dust, yeah, right. very dangerous for the lungs. Is it? Oh yeah. They would never catch up with us. Realize that Benny is still uh, playing the good guy in it here. Right. Now they're back into the right light, uh, red light district and basically go back to the hangout of the of the guerrillas, which is their so-called headquarters and. Then uh, one of the mutants, um, of course, is helping them to escape. The mutant situation, of course, being connected with the guerrillas is because of the mutants are the ones that most suffered because of the bad government of Cohagen, isn't it? The bad government of Cohagen providing or, or, or making these domes that are, are really not protecting uh, the people. Fun? Where are they? What are you talking about? I don't know. So that <laughs> could be <laughs> from some. Uh, I love it. Right, this is fascist like, movie, I would it's say. It's one thing. It's one thing to shoot somebody. But it's another thing to shoot them in the back, and it's another thing to shoot a woman in the back. <laughs> and then a woman with three breasts. Three breasts, exactly. I love that fight yeah. scene there. It was just so well orchestrated yeah. and so well uh, Also a lot of uh, second units by Vic Armstrong yeah, yeah. here. He was a great uh, second unit director, you know, worked a lot for Spielberg and other people. It's, right. He can rely absolutely on him and basically can give him whole parts of scenes so that he, he will do that exactly the way you want it or even better clearly because he's so uh, talented really. Again, now we emphasize a little bit on the background of the shots here of uh, Richter. The, the, the rotation there is, of course, is the, has a, a lot to do with the air, isn't it? That starts to become more and more important in the next part of the movie. So we uh, start to emphasize it as much as we can because that's the direction that the story will go, the absence or the presence of air. Oh, I can see it off the area! 
because Cohagen is basically going to kill all these people, and, you know, because they are, because he realizes that uh, the insurrectionists are kind of um, in that part of the area, and so he just decides to uh, to suffocate them. Right. So basically, although he will kill a lot of innocent people at the same time, he would probably call that, um, to quote McVeigh, uh, collateral damage. Or to quote our movie. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks I a lot. That. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Again, trying to uh, to connect the mutancy killing dead bodies and all that stuff with absence or presence of air, isn't it? And more and more emphasizing the theme of, of the air, um, which ultimately uh, is supposed to be something that will be provided to the planet Mars by um, uh, by an alien reactor that is built inside, uh, inside the mountain. If you follow the fact, if you follow the version that it's all real, Right, if, right. It's, if it's, of course, a dream, then it's, it's just all nonsense, isn't it? The alien reactors are nonsense, and, and, and that's a construction that was provided by, um, by, by the recall operation and was even mentioned and, and, and um, told to us by um, Dr. Esmar. This is, of course, the area we, we sh uh, that we constructed there is like the Roman catacombs in it, where they buried the Christians and all that stuff. Right, right. So it's again um, the Christians being hiding for the Roman Empire um, for, um, uh, is, is, is kind of a metaphor for the guerrillas um, um, hiding for Kohingen. Now, the, Benny turns has a new secret we find from uh, from Benny that is uh, this was done by Rob Boutin, all the all the alien stuff, mm -hmm. and um, Benny is is now even more because before we discovered that he is on the other side, we m try to make him even more so a, a, a hero of the of the guerrilla side, isn't it? By showing that he is as much a victim of Cohagen, of victim uh, of the of the bad um, domes. That he constructed Cohagen as as the other mutants. You wait here. Follow me. It won't do any good. Cohagen to pressurize the tunnels. Then drill through to section M. We can't. We're running out of air. We need help. Okay, sit tight. Melina just got here with Quaid. I hope he was worth it. Marshal Bell, uh, I'm used again in um, as the cowardly general in Starship Troopers, in fact. Sealed up Venusville. He shut off the air. He was killed by a bug falling on top of him. He wants you. If we don't hand you over, everybody in the sector will be dead by morning. Well, then we don't have much choice, do we? Again, of course, this is clearly all um, all location, all shot in Cherubusco Studios. And this is one shot to prepare us for something that is tricky about uh, Benny. And now we get the reveal of uh, Quato. That was a very original idea. I'm, I'm not even sure that it is in the Philip Dick story anymore. I didn't reread it. But um, the idea of, um, of Quato being a part of Marshall Bell, being, being like a, a twin of Marshall Bell that's, that is, uh, uh, let's say, part of his own body, I think is an original idea of Dan O'Bannon and Ron Suchet, in my opinion. I don't think that's in the original story. 
you know that sometimes people people are born that have parts of of of, of limbs um like like uh, uh, uh twins in it and sometimes there is uh, people are born that have perhaps even two arms sticking out of stuff that that was a, let's say a part of the uh, of the x uh, of the of the the female axel that that split up to a certain degree but never came to become a, a, um, a twin right it's right. like a rudimentary twin really uh, the construction of course is uh, is from uh, robotine and it's all puppets uh, engineered there are about 15 20 puppeteers to do arms fingers eyeballs cheeks um, f the, the, the frowning of the head all done by different puppeteers. The chest of Marshall Bell is is um, is fake, of course. So we built a whole uh, body, a, a, a new chest plus this little uh, being, Quato. We built that on 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 Marshall Bell. Very difficult because it took six hours or four five hours to uh, to build it on his body, but you couldn't go to the restroom. Right, right. <laughs> and then he still no, had to shoot was, five hours. It was tough for him to go through his makeup job. Yeah, because horrible. I mean, I can relate to it because I've gone through it in uh, the Conan movies right. and then Terminator and, uh, of course, on Batman and Robin playing Mr. You cannot Mr. drink, Freeze. isn't it? Oh, it's like terrible. <laughs> and he can't go to the bathroom. You just have to you know, really discipline yourself. You can't move around much. And you hang there every day five hours in a makeup chair. Right. This is uh, what you see here later turns out to be the, let's say, the bars. Uh, the, the rods. The, the, the rods, the, 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 exactly, called, yeah. Of the nuclear reactor. Of the nuclear the, reactor, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I remember that. Originally, we, there was a design by Ron Cobb uh, who made a big, let's say, sphere-like um, um, thing that basically would be standing in, the, in a cave, and that would be the machine. But we felt, ultimately, that it had to be something gigantic isn't it something that would be like a sea of rods right, right. that would stretch out as, as far as the eye goes to make a bit more convincing that the air of mars could be produced in a couple of minutes isn't it right which is of course nonsense in the first place but of, uh, we try to make that as believable as possible these of course the, this uh, which is still unknown here these uh, these columns that you see here are in fact the rods that a nuclear reactor would have, isn't right. it? O only not on that scale, of course, but this is an alien civilization exactly, that built that. Yeah, yeah. So it's much bigger than anything that any nuclear reactor that is, uh, is on Earth, but a nuclear reactor has these rods. And here's the big, the, ha the hand. So it's like, Kind of a, uh, it's the, f the only flashback in the whole movie where you get something out of the past, isn't it? Here the mole is coming. Yeah, moles are, the moles are used by Cohagen now for... Right, uh, to travel on the ground, to get to, anywhere, yeah. to any animal get anywhere where they yeah. want to be. And now they have, of course, through through perhaps a device that Benny has with him, the, uh, the, the Cohagen has found out what the headquarters of the guerrillas are, and now he is, is, let's say, attacking, and is going to kill. I mean, this is a big coup for Cohagen because he has located right. through Quaid, through Benny, 
basically by Benny following Kuwait. Benny, of course, has been able somehow with a, some electronic device to warn Cohagen that this is where the headquarters are, and it because Benny is at the headquarters. Right. So all the people that There's a were, huge shootout. Yeah. Uh, we shot it for days, the scene there. Yeah, again. The, from every angle. And right. Uh, all, then the second unit came in second, and shot. For days again. Yeah, for days again, <laughs> right. exactly. Yeah, because every one of those guys, you know, had to be made up with the with explosions so you can see the hits when it hit right. the bullets hit the bodies and all that stuff. So this is then the turnaround, isn't it? Yeah. He just shoots him because he doesn't need him anymore. <laughs> and it's all about Quaid now, because Quaid is going to be Hauser again, isn't it? Quaid is bring, bring brought to, to, to Cohagen and basically then will be brought back to what he was before. The secret agent. Right. That infiltrates. Yeah, he has basically reached his goal, isn't it? I mean, through Quaid, they have already destroyed most of the operation now of the guerrillas. I mean, he's kind of an innocent... Um, he, he, he basically, without knowing it, he has led them to 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 to, to the underground right, uh, right. movement. Forget it, man. His fortune-telling days are over. Start the reactor, Freemar. This was a shot that Frank Uriosti always felt that should not have been in the movie. <laughs> That last close-up of you. He oh, thought, why not? Well, he thought it was better to c cut away after the line. Uh -huh. Later, when he saw the movie, he told me, because I said to him, perhaps we should not use that shot. And he said, no, no, we, news, we have to use it. But later, years later, he said, oh, I saw it on television. You were right. That shot should not oh, have been there. Funny. We should, after the line of, co of Michael Ironside, we should have immediately cut to, uh, to the body on the, on the, on the, on the, the dead body of, of Quato. <laughs> So now we get basically now the we last have the story, part, exactly. Yeah. Cohen explains really that there is much more to the story than than anticipated. This move, let's say this narrative move, where we not only we have because we have already found out that basically that Co that Hauser was perhaps partially. Uh, had been working for, for Cohagen, but had changed his mind and had become part of the guerrilla movement, isn't it? Before they, they transported him to, to, to Earth. Now we find out that is, that never happened, that Hauser was always on the wrong side. And that was just Cohagen who had changed Hauser into Kuwait to, to make, uh, let's say, to seduce the, 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 let's say, the guerrillas to accept Kuwait as, as, as one of them. Kuwait, of course, is, of course, is, has nothing to do with all that, you know, basically, because he's a, he's a different person than Hauser. Or no, it's two minds living in the same body, isn't it? Well, I always felt that uh, that it was actually uh, that there was Hauser in reality. And then when I went in and infiltrated into the resistance movement, right. I realized. That they were right. That they were actually right, right. and that the, the, the evil empire no, no, was wrong. No, that's what I mean. Yeah, exactly, make yeah. the switch. And make they decided a switch, to yeah. make the switch. And they, of course, are totally taken by surprise right. with that switch. Well, don't take my word for it. Someone you trust wants to talk to you. Who is it this time? My mother? Howdy, Quaid. 
Now, if you're listening to this, that means that Quado is dead and you have led us to him. So now it turns out that that's what he thought was before exactly. and what would be a great guy yeah. is that he had been a great guy. It turns out that he was a drunk, that he was a bad guy. Totally it, bad, yeah. That what um, what I want to say is that um, that that part of the narrative, that little twist, was something that Gary Goldman uh, added to the story. Right, right, right. Because that was never there before. That it was more, let's say, one-dimensional. It was more like, okay, he um, he, he was somebody that perhaps was seduced. To, to become part of the of of the of the of the guerrilla movement, like you just said, isn't it? Yeah. And that was it. But now it turns out that that was also a trick, of course. That was a great shot in the end when they yes. show me and yeah, him together. together yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and us both the, uh, together watching it. Now we're going back in the recall chair. And now he he will be forced to become the person he doesn't want to be, isn't it? Right. Because he has made a moral choice. With the new personality, he has been able to make a moral choice, isn't it? I realized that that was that the personality he had before was not uh, something he enjoys. They're trying to deprogram her now and make her part of the right. evil empire. Yeah. But it's the last thing that he wants is to go back to Hauser. No, he doesn't want to. But it's a kind of interesting philosophical oh, thing. Absolutely, yeah. It's, it would be nice if in life you could make such, such sharp decisions, isn't it? I mean, we're always much more ambivalent, ambivalent, I think, in real life about the moral choices we make. You like being Hauser. Guy's a fucking asshole. Not true. He's one of my best friends. Besides, he's got a big house and a Mercedes. And you like Melina, right? Well, you get to fuck her every night. That's right. She's gonna be Hauser's babe. It's <laughs> <laughs> horrible, this co-hacking, isn't it? I mean, after the after, if if they would be succeed in doing the in doing this memory implant, of course he would be happy in it. Right, right. Because I mean, he would not he know would that know he better. was uh, no exactly. It's uh, what he don't know. It's the most hurt. horrible thing that you can yeah. say. We're going to make you happy, but you be, everything you think now you cannot think anymore. Right, right. Yes, what is it, sir? The oxygen level is bottoming out in sector G. What do you want me to do about it? Don't do anything. But they won't last an hour, sir. Fuck them. <laughs> Listen to the others. Come on, Cohagen. You got what you want. Give these people air. My friend, in five minutes, you won't give a shit about the people. Well, that's kind of an interesting statement, isn't it? Right. Politically, basically, yeah. when you have another uh, uh, other glasses yeah. on, basically, you yeah. will look at at. It's like, um, yeah, it's really of talking about imperialism, fascism, or whatever. Whatever you should use to become, that's what you believe, isn't it? Right. Okay. I'm having a party tonight. Why don't you and Melina drop by? Remind him, Doc? Sure. <laughs> oh, that's, <laughs> that's funny. so funny, isn't it? <laughs> because it would all be true, isn't it? He would go yeah, to the party. He would. Yeah, he would be happy and think I did a good job. I heard that he, he, they would say, you did a really good job. He wouldn't even remember, isn't it? Right. Keep still. Fighting just makes it hurt. <laughs> Of course, there's a lot of resemblance to the machine in uh, in the, in the recall, recall uh, room, isn't it? Oh, absolutely, yeah. exactly, yeah. If you don't keep still, you'll end up psychotic. Hey, oh yeah, those classic movements. It's like a robot. You're throat. a robot now, isn't it? Yeah. With, with the steel arm. It's a kind of really uh, Terminator scene, this, I think. Oh, 
Oh. Well, we had to cut a little bit in that scene know, for the MPA because there was, these shots were a little bit longer. Yeah, much longer. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. That was one of the things also that was so uh, uh, well done in the film was the, the fight scenes. Very well choreographed. Great, yeah. Long uh, pre preparations, good preparations. And they're all different. Each fighting scene right. is different. One right. is made, one with weapons, the other one more yeah. with uh, just equipment and uh, steel bars and stuff like that. Others just regular fist fights. Yeah, we, I think we made lists, uh, Vic, Vic yeah, made yeah. lists, and then we said, okay, how can we make them all as different as exactly, possible? Exactly, that's also right. One of the reasons we wanted to make the girl fight like interesting yeah. and, and new. To a certain degree, of course, you have to ask yourself from, uh, let's say, from a psychological or physical point of view, what exactly was the relationship between Kohagen and Hauser, isn't it? Right. Because he seems to be really moved by the fact that he has to kill you could say his buddy, you could even say that there's even a vague, vague uh, suggestion that there was uh, something else there, a, a, a love relationship or something in it between Kohagen and... Yeah. I mean, not that we emphasize that in any way, but there is there is, seemed to be sorrow in that scene before, in it, where he, he has to kill um, Hauser. Yeah, oh, absolutely, be because really they, were, they were best buddies. Yeah, I mean, they were working least. together. Right. I mean, he was definitely his right-hand guy when it comes to security. Right, right. So now the last uh, phase of the of, of the movie, of course, is is, is certainly action-oriented and has to do with the discovery of the alien reactor, which we try to play here in a kind of a lightweight way, because she says, "What aliens?" I mean, like making a joke, isn't it? Because to introduce aliens into this story was not so easy. I felt because it is it had, had its own realism, and now suddenly thinking, okay. There is, there is, we are dealing with aliens. It's like ma making a major s step into science fiction, I felt. Here's the mall again. Yeah, we still don't know who it is, of course, who was doing this. But right, right. Yeah, that, that machine is uh, drilling right through any any kind of obstacle, if it is concrete or... So this, or is, this is kind of his, his tool to go against it, isn't it? Right, right. They're caught against the wall there, isn't it? Right, right. Your baby. <laughs> 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 the machine is wiping out, of course, which was a great surprise to him that this huge machine can even break. And basically, it is interesting because it, 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 we use it also for the next scene. That hole in the wall they made, that is the way they get to the, to the nuclear right, reactor, right. isn't it? 
and it goes into his body, right through his. He hears the sound and he basically, hears the sound, yeah. and he finds out where it is. Yeah, and as he it's finds too late, out, it's it? too late. Yeah. Again, that that shot was shortened because right. we had some blood. That's right, yeah. <laughs> so we had to cut it You had too much gut falling out of his stomach. Yeah, it was a little bit like that. And now, yeah, this is this was always a very important moment. I felt because I thought if if it would not be, it could easily be fake and and, and idiotic, isn't it? This alien reactor hanging there in the air. So we tried to make it as realistic, and right, the idea right. would ultimately was to go into a. An uh, enormous nuclear reactor. I remember shooting that scene. We had to hit uh, specific spots when we walked forward. Yeah, because it was all blue, blue screen. Exactly, it was all blue it. screen. It was like 20 right. spots that we had to hit exactly. Right. Otherwise, we had to redo it again. And we right. did it over and over and over again. Some of it is real, isn't it? This, of course, we built yeah, clearly. Yeah. And, and the, the beginning of the bridge is real, but as the, as the bridge extends here, uh, yeah. That's all, of course, the foreground now and all the elements there. That is um, all matte paintings, or partially um, they are really um, um, things uh, miniatures that we built. Again, they the, the bridge stops where the shot stops. The bridge oh, yeah, stops yeah. too, and the rest of the bridge is fake. Right. Oh, this is a great scene where he uses the hologram. Isn't he using the hologram? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes we use the very for the for the for the, for the white shots basically, and with the little people in some of the shots we use this very old technique where you would project, you would shoot the shot and you would project it inside the miniature. Right. That they that they also used a technique they used for King Kong, in fact. Of course, again, this the, this is the with the columns that uh, was based uh, shot in the studio. Right, right. Now. You would expect them not to survive this. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they think there's something wrong with our bullets, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah, I love that scene. Yeah. Coming from behind casually, turning off the hologram. And then just nailing them. He's still on the run. I think they did body counts on this movie, isn't it? Yeah. I think he has a record. For the time, I would say. For that time, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you think this is the real Quaid? It is. Uh, 
<laughs> yeah, I think that was so creative, you know, that it made because that's the key thing with those action movies is to also have some humor right. in the, in the middle of the action in the middle of the intensity. Yeah, otherwise it gets uh, basically uh, nearly too much, isn't it? Yeah. If it continues action otherwise. <laughs> Here again, a totally different fight scene. In a very brutal, hands-on kind of a fight scene, gouging the eyes, breaking arms. He's gonna get decapitated. Well, oh, his arms taken off. Another great shot. Yeah. <laughs> Again, basically, uh, the shot where the, where it's where the separation takes place had to be uh, shortened a little. Oh bit. yeah, sure, absolutely. Yeah. But we keep. We, I'm glad we kept it in because it's a really inventive scene. I think. It's terrific. And then I think this is really what you would call the last element of the scene of, of, of the movie, isn't it? The last um, important uh, reveal. The hand we have seen before and, and ultimately it turns out that if he puts his hand there in a certain way that he can activate the machine and of course finalize what, what, what he was supposed to do for, for in the first place that is save the planet, isn't it? Like, right. like promised in the, in, the, in, in the recall office. We said at the end you will save the whole planet. Mars will go into global meltdown. That's why the aliens never turned it on. And you expect me to believe you? Who gives a shit what you believe? In 30 seconds you'll be dead. And I'll blow this place up and be home in time for cornflakes. So now basically what, what the essence of this would be is that Cohagen, I mean from a, let's say, um, yeah, nearly from an economical point of view, you would say that he had the possibilities to activate this reactor. He right. had the possibilities to, to use the nuclear reactor and make air um, uh, on Mars. Basically, now, uh, of course, the situation is that there is a limited amount of, 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 of air, and basically the government makes money out of air. Right, and they use it as a, you know, as a tool to make them perform, to make them work. To, uh, and, and basically even to keep control. And to keep control, exactly. Right. So it's, it's, it's again uh, what every imperialist society would do, and that is what Cohagen stands for, I think. And in this case, of course, it's not about... It's, it's really the air, the ultimate thing that we take for granted on Earth has been... Uh, in, in Mars is something that is, is, is only partially there, and, and is, uh, without it, of course, you can control everybody. So it is an economic and a control factor at the same time. A lot of these shots where, where you're hanging and, uh, in air were shot again with the set under a 90-degree right. angle, isn't it? That's so right. when, when you see them here hanging on a horizontal line like her, um, in, in, in reality a shot like that would be shot if you, uh, on a vertical set, which is 90 degrees tilted, so then you use the gravity to hang down. Right. And then if you flip it back, then it's suddenly what is vertical hanging down becomes horizontal, being sucked out. Right. 
I think a lot of shots. You spent a lot of time there with uh, Vic Armstrong on the set, hanging in, hanging on these uh, on these ropes, isn't it? I remember every minute of it, of being uh, suspended with unharnesses, right, hanging on wires for hours and shooting that and climbing up and climbing down and all those kind of things. This is, a, this is one of the few shots that basically is real in the middle there. And from here, we're back in the studio again. There is, was a little um, a red mountain outside Mexico City that we used for right. some of the shots, really. Yeah, I remember that. So that started now the nuclear reactor, right. which is now producing oxygen up there. Yeah, now it turns out that all these things are telescopic, isn't it? So they can slowly go into, into, into the, not in the ground, because underneath there is supposed to be an ice layer. Exactly, ice layer, which is the, 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 the means of getting oxygen out. Right, yeah. right. It's basically, we forget a little bit about the fact that we had to add, uh, add nitrogen, otherwise it would be explosive. But I right. thought it would still be kind of a, let's say, pretty elementary way, but still not completely incorrect way to say, okay, the nuclear reactor splits the, 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 the oxygen out of the, out of the water and uses that for the air. Right, look at yeah. his face. I mean, yeah. I love this. <laughs> That's his a robotine again, popping, isn't it? Exactly, popping out. I mean, this out. partially is, is real, and the backgrounds are, are added, but um, the rolling down was done on that mountain in, uh, in Mexico City. This is, again, on our little mini-set that we used for, uh, for the close shot. Right. And this is all miniatures, clearly, isn't it? What we were that were built. They were not even that big, but a couple of rooms big. One room big, I would say. About 10 by, 10 by 50 yards or something like that. I mean, Eric Brevet spelt uh, with his miniature people spent an enormous amount of time to get that. When you see them laying in that shot, in the white shot, that was uh, one of these, uh, I think, uh, shots where we projected them inside the shot. Right. I mean, a miniature of the landscape, but the, the two bodies are um, projected into it. Nowadays, we would... Now there's oxygen coming in. They're finally coming back slowly to life. And Here's then you get the basically the oxygen. Yeah, but of course not enough nearly for them because they nearly die anyhow. But right, right, right. And in the background, you see in the window, you see the mountain where all these air uh, streams are, are, are coming to the surface. I mean, clearly this is all miniatures, and it with additional streams. All the all the the steam is added to the miniature. Now, now the right. <laughs> I mean, it's partially real. The the the, the glass is part is real, uh, but uh, of course, what comes through the window, what you see coming up to the window, the the the, the clouds are printed in, in blue screen wise, isn't it? But when it explodes, it's partially real, and some additional elements are added there. This is all real. This is stunt people and 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 this um, and a real glass. I mean, fake glass. I mean, let's say not glass that can cut you, but. Um, Yeah, this was a major, major action sequence. Remember with cables, yeah. each one had to yeah, be pulled right. out by a cable. 
and uh, you know, with the, with the, the fire, the explosions, the smoke, right. the wind, the wind machines. Yeah, they had all around were wind machines. And this is puppets, isn't it, that do this? This is Robotine. Right, right. Bringing bringing the puppet from a blown up state to uh, to the to uh, to a normal state. Yeah. I mean, the clouds are done in the water tank there in the, in the mountain shot. This is all, I think, um, shots that were partially constructed in a water tank. Again, all these shots are blue screen. Were shot as blue screen, and then the whole background was uh, was added. Ah, here, they, they, everyone realizes for the first time that there is now oxygen on Mars, and that you can in fact exist. Now everyone has the right to breathe the oxygen, and there's right. no more dictatorship and and all that. I mean, the miniature in the background, clouds that are probably, um, as, as I think, uh, matte paintings that are moved slowly. Yeah. And partially painted in. This is one of the first time. This is a tracking shot because you see it's a crane shot, but we had no means to do that uh, in the same way with motion controls cameras there. So it's really one of the first time that we track the actors um, without having, um, a, let's say, a, a computer program to repeat the move. So mm -hmm. they had to... Uh, they really shot study frame pro frame, so they had to really so they could match the movement of the actors with the movement on, on the miniature. Right. Of course, clearly this is again, let's say, uh, printed in in a way that it's on a little projection screen. Uh, the real scene of the actors is is done, and and that's basically added into the miniature. We tried to have some people on the top of the mountains there, but it's not very visible. And this is the same, and again, this is... The same scene as the beginning, except the without the right. helmets yes, and without the gear. absolutely. Well, then kiss me quick before you wake up. And then we get to in the music, we go back to the, to the, let's say, is it a reality shot, isn't it? Right, right. Because everything at the end, um, I have suggested that uh, that's really where he, his brains are. He's lobotomized at the end, isn't it? If he followed the dream story. But Edgemar told him that at the end, he, Dr. Edgemar by Roy Brockmitt, um, told, told him at the end of the story, you will be lobotomized. That might be the end of the movie, isn't it? Because right, right, that's right. why we faded to white yeah. instead of going to black. Because it's his brains are, are, are blown out. And so the whole story might be a dream. And ultimately, nothing of all this happened. He all invented it, and because they couldn't bring him back to reality anymore, they decided to lobotomize him. It's amazing if you think about this movie has come out 10 years ago. Uh, yeah, longer, 15 years ago. No, no, 10 years 20 ago. 20 years, no, it's uh, 80, 89, isn't it? No, we made it in 89, oh. it came out in 91. Oh, did it? Yeah, oh, okay. so now it's right. 2001, so it's amazing, right. you know, that, that 10 years ago, this movie came out and uh, how much it holds up today, right. 
even though we had uh, much more crude technology then and uh, than we have today, but it's amazing how well it holds up and um, how well everyone has acted in there and uh, and how yeah. great the action was. And the, the whole movie, I mean, really, it's, I haven't seen it for a long time. To see it again and to see how well it plays, I can clearly see why it was such a huge phenomenon worldwide. Such a great success at the box office and also got some great reviews. Yeah. Yeah, I think we had a, a, a very talented crew and cast, you know. I think we had, uh, we made a, a lot of good choices, I think. For me, the, for my career, this movie was a very important right. move forward because, yeah, I mean, no, it, me was like, it was like the biggest action movie I've been involved right. with at that point and yeah. a high, big budget movie and a huge uh, worldwide and it kind of built me forward, you know, I think it was one of the reasons why they didn't uh, continue, it did then Terminator 2 and all this other uh, type of movies. Right, that's Eric Brevik, would uh, I mentioned before. But um, now it's the same applies to me because I had done Robocop and that was kind of successful, but it was m perhaps even more artistic than that it was commercial. And it, this was a really breakthrough. Right. And I think that uh, what was, of course, great about your career was that, uh, you know, even though some people were saying, well, you know, that's, you know, he makes his money by doing action and, right. and, and all those. Then you followed it up with Basic Instincts, right. and Basic Instincts made exactly the same amount. It was right. a huge hit worldwide again. Which was and, without uh, special effects so and Exactly. So, right. Right. so here was totally the opposite, right. and you were a huge smash. Yeah, I think uh, Rob Boutin and, and Eric Brevik both added a lot to this movie, isn't it? By, by giving us a lot of ideas too, isn't it? How to do it and even extra elements that were not in the script. Well, I think that it's, it's so hard uh, to pick, you know, one or the other department. Uh, because, I mean, if you look at that, just the, the wardrobe, how well it was designed, the set design, the visual effects, the stunt coordinating. Right, right. The, you know, especially the directing. I mean, this is one of those movies which is a total director's movie. You know, it's your creation. You were in charge of this whole thing because, as I was say, saying to everyone during my interviews when we promote the movie, you were the ideal guy because you're great in directing actors and at the same time directing action, but also knowledgeable and interested in the technology of visual effects and special effects. So with that together makes it perfect for a movie like that.